Hey everyone, welcome to the Industry Show. I'm your host Nitin Bajaj, and joining me today is Shirag Shemasian. Shirag, welcome on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Nitin. It's our pleasure. So let's start with who is Shirag? Um, who am I, boy? Uh, it's a uh, hard hard to think about how to answer that. Um, but I'll start from I guess the beginning. So I'm a uh, Born and raised in Los Angeles uh, to two ethnically Armenian parents who immigrated here from Lebanon. I have an older brother. Um, I'm married and I have a three-year-old son uh, who, I, who I really enjoy spending time with. Um, I'm a lover of food, lover of travel, lover of sports. Uh, and in my you know, professional time, I assist people uh, with the admissions process. So getting into top institutions, primarily medical school admissions. And I've been doing that work for quite some time now. That's amazing. I mean, that's that's really living the Southern California life to its fullest and helping a lot of people along the process. So tell us a little more about that. Tell us, you know, what, what that process looks like, what, uh, who your ideal quote unquote customer is and, uh, you know, a little bit about, uh, how many students do you help and, uh, just kind of the geography, just, just give us a little more uh, sense and, yeah. and detail of that. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, it's, uh, I guess the landscape, if we can back up a little bit. So for folks who are not familiar with it, getting into medical school is incredibly difficult uh, mm -hmm. in this country. And I mean, I guess in a lot of countries, but it's, it's really, really tough here. So for MD programs, which is, you know, the types of schools that most people are looking to get into, I'm not talking about DO programs or mm -hmm. you know, Caribbean programs or anything like that. It's around 40%, um, you know, of applicants actually get into one place each year. So most people don't get in anywhere. Uh, and so it's just an incredibly challenging process. You have to make sure you enroll in the right courses and get great grades and, you know, do well on the MCAT, which is sort of like the SAT for medical school. So we assist with, you know, test prep and extracurricular advising and all those kinds of things. And then when it comes to the time of the application, we assist people with developing all aspects of their essays, their school lists, um, you know, whom to get rec letters from, interview coaching, how to send update letters, the whole nine yards. So it's a very involved process. Takes, um, it takes a lot of effort and knowledge to pull it off. Um, as far as, you know, who we support. Um, so I live in San Diego, but we support students all over the country. <laughs> we support Californians, people from Massachusetts, people from Iowa and everything in between. And we help these people get into schools all over the country. So sometimes people ask me like, where are you guys based? I'm like, I don't even know how to answer that question because I live here, but I'm like, you know, but that doesn't, um, you know, not much of our team or no one else from our team does. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, we support students all over. So as far as ideal customer, I mean, there's no, it's one of those things where there is no single way to wrap my head around that because we have students who come to us who are at all stages. You know, some students are freshmen in college, other people, um, they're just gearing up for the application. So they're getting ready to submit in a couple of months. And again, everything in between. Sure. And some students are just more competitive than others. Naturally, some have exceptional scores and they're saying, well, I want to go to a top 10 school. So for them, that's the value proposition, maximizing their odds that happens. For other people, it's completely different. They might be on the borderline and without your help, they don't get in anywhere. And so for them, it's just that I just want to get in somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so I've always, you know, I've never seen my role as being the gatekeeper or the decider of who deserves to become a doctor or anything like that. My goal is to assist people who have worked hard, 
who are willing to continue putting in the work and who are devoted to healthcare, if they're willing to put forth the effort, I'm, I'm here to help them maximize their chances of pursuing their uh, dream education and career. Because this isn't the kind of thing where, you know, if you, if you don't go to one place, you go to another place, it's fine. Or, you know, for instance, like college in this country, most people who want to go to college can, it's a matter of where they get in. That's mm -hmm. a different story with med school admissions. It's different because you can't be a doctor without going to medical school. In other words, if you don't go to medical school, you have to pursue a different career. Mm -hmm. And so I, I take that responsibility very seriously. You know, a lot of people trust us to guide them and, or if you're a parent to guide their student. And so my, my job is just to, you know, help maximize that. So, you know, this is, as you said, only 40% of the students will get through, which means a larger percentage are going to somewhat be disappointed, right? So that's a huge responsibility to take on. Yep. Let's back up one and you know I'm curious to learn why do this? Right? What what prompted you to get into this and uh, you know also what gives you the unfair advantage to to be able to facilitate uh, people in the right direction? Yeah, it's uh it's a good question, you know. The, why do we why do we do that? I mean, it's just a it's a genuine joy. And I understand how painful it is to go through these processes when you don't have the knowledge or the background. I mean, going back to, you know, talking about my parents being immigrants to this country, you know, they came here, they they fled a civil war uh, in Lebanon to come here. And the way they were able to get out was my dad got into a master's program at Southern Illinois. Um, to study history. So when they moved here, they moved to St. Louis. Uh, so that's, that was their ticket out. <clears throat> and that was their ticket, not just to like study, right? It was their ticket to get out of a war to pursue, um, you know, a better, you know, better work life, better home life, more safety, more stability in this country. And so when my brother and I were growing up, you know, the classic immigrant move, you know, they're like, these are your choices. Here's the menu, you know, Dr. Dennis, you know, engineer, lawyer, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, and you know, my brother and I were like, sounds good. Like we didn't question it. You know, obviously our parents, we assume they want the best for us. And, and, but it got, it was interesting because I went to an all Armenian high school <laughs> and you know, all the other kids were Armenian. Uh, I want to say 80, 90% of my teachers were immigrants too. So <laughs> when people sometimes ask, where are you from? You have an accent. I'm like, yeah, I was born here, but I learned, I learned English from these immigrants, you know? Yeah. Um, but then it was also funny because when we got to college admissions, it was like, well, you know, if Armenians are obviously tight knit community and all this kind mm -hmm. of stuff. And the goal was to go to school locally, you know, ideally you go to UCLA or USC or something like that. And it was, if you wanted something outside of that, you're on your own. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, all right, mom, dad, you know, you've been telling me my whole life. I got to go to these great schools. It's time. Let's do this. They're like, we didn't go to school in this country. You know, like it was just like, uh, it was like, you're on the, but they told you at the 11th hour, they like kind of kept it a secret until you had to. So it was like, all right, well, whatever, it's time to hustle. Right. And so picked up every book I could and going to Barnes and Noble, the library, you know, it's kind of weird talking about that now because, you know, everything's on the internet. Um, but reading everything I could and understanding like, you know, the essays you write are nothing like, um, you know, what you're going to write for school. Mm -hmm. I went to a school where people like didn't really prep for the SAT. It wasn't like that at our school. And so mm -hmm. you were kind of on your own. And so I, I was self-taught and I was able to get in. I ended up graduating, uh, completing my undergrad at Cornell 
And, you know, I got a lot of need-based aid and got a bunch of scholarships I had applied for. And I was able to graduate, you know, debt-free. I paid my whole tuition off. Hmm. And, you know, along the way, people are like, oh, like, that's cool. You know, I've kind of thought about doing this kind of thing too, but no one from our school's ever gone there. And, you know, sounds like you, it seems like you know something. And so I just started helping other people. Um, and they were getting into really great schools and getting scholarships. And then one person tells another, you know, that person tells two people and sort of grew from there. But it was all, it was all kind of, how do I say it? Just word of mouth and mm-hmm. just grew organically out of there and grew out of, you know, my own necessity, right? I wanted to get into these schools. But what ended up happening over time was, you know, and I was pre-med all through undergrad and I was helping people with med school. What happened over time was I was noticing that there were a lot of foundational things that people were missing. And so I found myself, I'm like, gosh, I wish these people had something they could read before they come and meet with me. And I looked online, I want to send them resources, but everything on the internet was about like five tips, you know, it's like, imagine reading like an entrepreneurial blog, like number one, take a risk. Number two, do what you, it's not helpful, right? It's just tips. Like, what does that even mean? And now you're staring, you know, it's like, okay, start a business, good luck, be yourself, you know, whatever, but that doesn't help. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to write something that I wish I had. And I wish my students, so I started writing about it. And, and really what I think turned things around for me in a major way uh, was when people started reaching out to me Nathan, and they're like, oh, can you help me with my med school applications? I'm like, who are you? You're not my friend. You're not their cousin. You're not, it's not word of mouth. And so when that org and they're like, oh, I just found it on Google. I was like, whoa, like I never question what appears on Google. Mm-hmm. We all do Google searches, but few of us ever think about like what, who's behind the content. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, that's weird. And, and I was like, how does, what is SEO? What's that? And so like got more serious about content development and reaching more people. And I guess it was one of these things where I really genuinely enjoy to this day, students get in. I love it. I, I love it. Like I did 10 years ago. I love it today. I genuinely am, you know, passionate about this work. And I, I guess I'm driven by the sense that like knowing, you know, who my parents were and sort of how in the dark I was, I know what that's like. And we support a lot of kids whose parents are immigrants, or even if they're not, they went to, you know, their parents went to school 20, 30, it changes so fast. And I just hate that, you know, lack of knowledge can keep someone out of their desired career path. When I know those people can make a great contribution to our society and can make a great impact and i just see it as my responsibility like i know how to help them make that happen and i love it and so this is what i'm gonna do um that's the answer it wasn't like uh i wasn't 10 years old dreaming of doing this one day it it just (laughs) sort of um, developed over time you know that's pretty awesome you you hit a nerve and you know what what we say in the product world is you found a good product market fit and uh you've over the years kind of built your niche and you're, you've become really good because you're really passionate about this. That's, that's always great to hear. As you, as you work with these uh, students and, and I, what I would call aspirants across the country, across schools that are spread across the country, what are some of the, I would say, what's the biggest challenge you face? I mean, it's hard to pinpoint just one, Nitin, mm-hmm. to be honest. I mean, you know, there are obvious ones like someone might not have good enough grades and stuff. Like, so let's throw sure. the obvious stuff out of the way. 
Um, I think lack of knowledge, knowledge is a really dangerous one. Um, <laughs> and by lack of knowledge, like, I don't just mean like they don't have knowledge. It's oftentimes they have the wrong knowledge. Mm. So it's a community like the pre-med community is one of those communities. And I'm sure there's true. A lot of other, there's just insane amounts of misinformation. I read on Reddit that, <laughs> you know, X, Y, and Z is the case. I heard there was a student with these stats who didn't get, I heard if you drop one class, then, you know, whatever, the boogeyman comes to your room at night or whatever, <laughs> like all these crazy things. Right. And of course I'm, I'm making that last one up, but all of these kinds of things. And so people bring that to you. And I mean, just yesterday, uh, there was a parent who was asking me, like, asked me like 10 different questions about, I heard X, Y, and Z, but my friend said, and um, eventually, you know, I hope I was gentle. I said, ma'am, I, you know, I totally get it. I've been, but I promise you, I've been doing it for a very long time. And that that's just not true. And she was like, I know, but my, in other words, like, <laughs> even when you say like, because emotions are different than data. There are the numbers, there's the data, and then there are your emotions behind it. And I think because it's such a hard process and because people know most people don't get it. I know. So my neighbor's kid had X, Y, and Z and they did. It's like, you no, know, people are coming into it with a certain level of anxiety, a certain level of self doubt. And they're really holding on sometimes to that anxiety and that misinformation. And it's hard to unteach or unwind that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it impacts things, you know, so you might say this essay is great. And then someone says, I don't know, but I showed it to so-and-so and they were my 10th grade English. I'm like, yeah, but that's different, right? So you get all these different things. And because it's, um, you know, like with essay and stuff like that, it's, you know, the way you read it, you read one online, it doesn't read like that. But I'm like, man, that's a good thing. You want it to be, you know, so mm -hmm. it's this kind of stuff. It's, it's usually people's anxiety or misinformation that often leads them astray, which is probably the biggest obstacle that we see, um, you know, on a day to day basis. And I can imagine, I mean, it's, it can be an emotional roller coaster because there's so much at stake. Mm -hmm. It's your pride, your prestige, your you know, in case of uh, parents doing this for their children, they're, you know, or oh, what if, right? That that what if, sure. like you said, uh, brings a lot to the table and for you to have to overcome that can be quite a challenge. So, you know, the, the way I see it is every challenge brings an opportunity. So if you look at the other side of it, what is that big opportunity that you're targeting? I mean, that that's the thing. I think, you know, sometimes you asked earlier today, what's the what gives us an unfair advantage or anything like right. I, I put I mean, we have internal resources that we don't share publicly. Right. Sure. But the majority of resources, you know, how to write these essays, you know, stats about different schools profiles, we put that stuff out there for free. Mm -hmm. In other words, I've never seen this as like, oh, I'm going to keep this like, you know, thing to myself right. or whatever. I'm all about giving it out there. And I think the, the, the opportunity here is, you know, if you're good, I, I guess what we do where we're particularly skilled is being able to hold that mm -hmm. anxiety and that stress and, you know, yeah. make sure to steer people in the right direction, given that. So, you know, when people are really anxious and they come to you and you provide reassurance and you're able to help them overcome their mental barriers, whether it's 
writer's block or self-doubt or lack of motivation or freaking out so they don't write anything because they think whatever's going to write about it. I just think the opportunity, the flip side to that is trust and relationship. Like if you're mm -hmm. able to help someone, you know, before I work with this person, I felt this way after I felt this way and I got in. It's almost like a weight loss before and after kind of thing, but the emotional version, I know that sounds really <laughs> weird, um, but the opportunity is like, you have like, you know, it's obviously not a friend, not a family member, but it's somewhere in there. Like you're developing that relationship for life. You work with younger siblings. They refer you to a friend. I've gotten Christmas cards. I got, like you build relationships with families. And I think it's really, really special um, to form that bond because people are also being very, open you know i'm a relative stranger to the people we support mm -hmm. right and they're like well my you know when my grandma died i felt like this and you know I, I sort of actually went into a depression but that you know triggered this cascade of events that led me to work in these mental health clinics and i did research on you know brain imaging for depression it's just like they're they te they're telling me that because they trust and they want me to help right mm -hmm. and, and it's just pretty special because you don't meet someone at a starbucks and they start they don't tell you this stuff right but when you do this work professionally you just have a window uh, into people's like hearts and stories that i think is just really special and hard to replicate and what i find really interesting is that you know like you mentioned there is a lot of emotion coming into this and as a professional you're able to look at that emotion and say this needs to go out, the stress, that anxiety needs to go out, but this emotion needs to stay to be able to tell your story, right? Yep. Because emotion is a big part of conveying who you are yep. and what kind of choices you've made, what kind of questions and how you've answered them, that kind of sets you on course for being successful in whatever it is that you choose. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes people ask me, Nitin, Dr. Shamasian, you know, they give me background on some situation. They say, should I be worried? <laughs> I say, you know, I laugh. Oh, I, I've, I used to, you know, try to explain. I say, you're going to worry if I tell you that you should worry or whether, whether you should worry or shouldn't worry, you're going to worry. That's okay. Here's the information you need to know. Let's manage your worry to the point where you're able to work through it productively. Yeah without freezing up or without trying to do something to change it that ends up hurting you. And you know what I mean? Right. Like coming back to hurt you. Yeah. So it's, it's being, you know, aware that the people that you're supporting are experiencing this emotion. Some of it is helpful because anxiety is also helpful. It motivates someone mm -hmm. to do something, but when it goes too far, that's when it sort of freezes you or you try to do stuff and break it essentially. Mm -hmm. And so I've just come to recognize, look, I'm not going to change people's emotions, personalities, all that kind of stuff. It's how do we, how do we productively manage this mm -hmm. together and work with it together? And so it's, it's, you know, it's a fairly high stress job. Um, I, you know, yeah, I think some, sometimes people say, Oh, fun. Like you're helping people. Like I love education. I'm like, yeah, this is the most stressful part. This is the part they've been working towards. So, um, and that's the responsibility though. Like if you're able to do it and do it well, um, I think I think it's just incumbent on us to to help people manage that. When you look back in the rearview mirror, is there a success story or a lesson learned that uh, you want to share with us? I mean, 
there are personally so many that come to mind. I, you know, ones I think about a lot. So I grew up with Tourette syndrome. So ever since I was eight, nine years old, um, I used to, you know, I started exhibiting tics, which I still have today. They're not to the same degree that, you know, I had back then. But, um, you know, I've had students who, you know, dealt with a, you know, mental health condition or a neurological condition and something like that. And I remember uh, a few students who hadn't gotten in Um, And I found that they were essentially withholding what makes them tick Hmm. because they were worried about stigma that came on their applications. Like, you know, this is actually a huge part of who I am and what drives me towards medicine, but I can't share it because I read online Mm -hmm. that it's bad and all these things. And, um, you know, and there, there were a couple stories where we're able to actually leverage that effectively, not in a way to like game the system or anything, but it was actually such a critical part of it. It's almost like not being able to talk about an enormously important aspect of who you are. Mm-hmm. Like if you told me, hey, Shirag, write an essay, you can't talk about Tourette syndrome or that your parents were immigrants or how you grew up, you're almost like- That's your identity, right? You're diluting, yeah, yeah. right? And so and so feeling for it, you're just kind of, it's a recipe for you know writing a generic application, mm-hmm. but how do you do it in a way that doesn't freak out the reader, right? Because the reader, no matter what they say, intellectually, if they're like, you know, oh, no, I, you know, I'm so supportive of mental health, you know, care and all this kind of stuff. When you read it subconsciously, you might have feelings about, ooh, is this person going to make it here mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. And uh, and that could scare people off. So how do you manage that? So some there were some instances where people came to us and we say, you know what, we're going to double down on this and we're going to do it in the right way. And it's going to be an asset to you. And it worked. And, and those are ones, again, just given my personal history with, you know, Tourette syndrome and writing about that in applications and whatnot, um, that I thought that those are really special. Wonderful. Let's, let's switch gears a little bit and uh, talk a little more about you. And uh, the way we do that is through a series of one-line life lessons. We would love to hear your life lessons and uh, yeah, take it away. One-line life lessons. Um, boy, Nitin, you're 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 great at uh you're great at these hot seat style questions, very thoughtful <laughs> questions on the spot. I mean, a lot of my a lot of my life lessons. I mean, they were triggered by you know talking to mentors and reading great books. Mm-hmm. So you know, one of the books that has been extremely valuable to me uh, over the course of my you know my lifetime and certainly my entrepreneurial work. Uh, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence mm-hmm. People. You know, if I can sort of summarize, you know, the entire book in one line, it's essentially, you know, put others' best interests first. And that tends to True. make 99.9% of situations great. Uh, if, True. you know, that might mean, uh, you know, staying up a little bit later uh, mm-hmm. than you needed to. It might mean, uh, you know, bringing in a second pair of eyes on something. It might, who, I don't know, like uh, whatever the case might be, when you put others' best interests first, good things happen. True. They're more likely to get in. If you're talking about it from a business standpoint, referrals are likely to be higher and all that kind of stuff. So putting others' best interests at heart is going to trigger um, incredible dividends for everyone involved. Uh, that's a big, okay. big one for me. Yeah. Um, the other one, I mean, another one, I think this is a little bit cliche, but I'll say it anyway, like just do it. I think that people, you know, in the entrepreneurial space, I mean, we have, I'm sure you have plenty of friends as well who have this idea. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about doing X, Y, and Z, and I'm going to write up a business plan and all this kind of stuff. And 
I'm just like, okay, like, cool. Like, what's the first step? Like, <laughs> and then they're like, well, you know, I don't know. Like, you know, my kids are in this. I feel like once they're, once they get to summer, they're in their summer school right now, when they return to school in the fall, people are always waiting for something to happen to, yeah. to, to essentially like have permission or to make sure that this is the right time. And, and I think that's bogus, right? You just have to make them. There's never a good time. Um, every time I think in my life, Nintendo, that, oh man, that's the busiest I've ever been. <laughs> and that's the busiest, like the next thing is quote unquote worse. In other words, like I'm busier, right? Like in college, you're like, oh my God, I'm so busy. You get to grad <laughs> school or you're like, oh, the, and then you get married and you have someone <laughs> else's schedule and then you have a kid and a business it's like okay now i'm like gosh i feel like such a moron sometimes like i could have totally, i just wish i would have I, yeah, yeah 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 <laughs> five man i would have been doing a million different things i i didn't take full advantage you know what i mean <laughs> so you just have to act on it and and that also brings up another you know thing which is be present like stop worrying mm -hmm. about the past stop worrying about what might happen so you know just do what you can do now make decisions based on the information that you have today and and live with that you know what I mean? Something might come up that makes you question whether that was the right move, but at the time, you know, make the decision you have with the data you have available to you. You know, just a, a thought on that. Uh, I have come to decide that in my life, I'm going to be action oriented, right? I'm just going to do whatever seems right, feels right at that point in time. Sure. Because I don't want to have regrets. It's okay to be wrong, but not okay to have a regret. Yeah. So just, just I bring this up like, with students. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, you know, sometimes people, uh, you know, ask me like, should I apply to this other school? Um, you know, should I do this and that? Should I add some reaches, whatever? I, one of my, you know, one of the pieces I like to share with people is I think there are, you know, two types of people. There are some people that are going to be, you know, risk averse and making sure that like, mm -hmm. Uh, just doing like the more sure bets and whatnot. And then there are other people and I consider myself one of them. Uh, the worst thing for me is wondering what if, <laughs> what if I had done X? What if I had, and I hate, I don't want to wonder that. So I just do it. Yes. And I encourage people to do that because I, I don't want to put myself in a position. And, and I think sometimes people, I hate to say this, but people want to have an out Mm -hmm. So that if they look back and say what well, they didn't do it, they have a nice built-in excuse yeah. um, rather than trying it and it not working out. I'd much rather, you know, try the thing and it doesn't work out ideally, but whatever. I don't have to wonder, you know, what if. Yeah, 100% agree with you. Do you have any other lessons? We would love those. Other lessons. Man, I'm trying to, um, those are some of the big ones for me. Um, and, you know, I'll think, I mean, another big one, you know, would be, you know, going back to story with Tourette syndrome, um, mm -hmm. you know, that was really hard growing up um, because, you know, whether it was parents who weren't as familiar with, you know, various mental health conditions and, you know, didn't know what to do or what help to get or teachers who were telling me like I was faking it and all this kind of stuff. I found myself uh, growing up, you know, doing a lot of things because I wanted to prove other people wrong. Yeah. And, you know, for a long time, uh, Nitin, I actually used to pursue, you know, a lot or work extra hard or, you know, bend over, back, like do whatever I could to, to compensate for level. Yeah, whatever the yeah. case might be, but also to like, 
you know, prove my dad wrong, prove this teacher mm -hmm. wrong, uh, you know, show people that I can actually do that. I'm just as capable. And I found myself like when I was achieving, you know, certain things, you know, other people say, oh, that's great. And it's kind of, and then you're like, ah, oh, but like, you're, you know, you're, you're thinking you might, you know, show them that, you know, you're just like all this kind of stuff. And you have to realize, you know, whatever it is that you're doing school wise, work wise, like, what are you doing it for? You know what I mean? Um, are you doing it like whoever you think you might please or get off your case or whatever the case might be, they're not going to care that much when you do it. Right. They're just going to be like, sounds good. Like, or like that, that's what I expected. You know, like, like that kind of thing. True. And so you just have to find the motivations, uh, you know, the intrinsic motivations, mm -hmm. you know, for, for making that stuff happen. Because, you know, when you get to different levels in your life or in different places or all that kind of stuff, if you're doing it for other people, you're never going to be content. And I think I, you know, there's a, I don't know if you've seen the Michael Jordan uh, Hall of Fame speech, mm -hmm. um, you know, if, uh, for folks who haven't, you know, seeing that I encourage people to watch it because a lot of, a lot of the motivation I observed for him, he was, he was very angry. Yeah. Uh, he was very angry about this person, you know, thought they could guard me. This person, you know, didn't give me this position on the team or this person, mm -hmm. this, this person, that, and that was, and, and he even got to a point where he would create stories yes. about people so that he can do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. He looked angry. Like he, He's considered the best in, you know, in his, in his field of all time. He's a billionaire, all this stuff. He's still angry. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when people would say, oh man, he just look at him. He's always like <laughs> upset about this and trying to prove this person wrong. And when I watched that, I was like, oh crap. Like I kind of feel like I'm that way sometimes as far as, you know, wanting to prove this, that, and the other person wrong. And uh, you know, challenging myself to show them and what, what have you. And I was like, that's not, it's not good for me. It's not good for Like, it's not productive. Sure. Maybe it might mean that you achieve certain things, but it's low, like you still feel lonely that way. Um, and so that was really eye opening for me uh, and something that, ha you know, that I've thought a lot about as far as like contentment. And I look at my son now, like he's three and he's just like, just such a happy go lucky kid. <laughs> I'm like, this guy just does stuff because he enjoys it he laughs about it then it's time for bed wakes up does it you know what i mean like it, it's it's really it's pretty special to just see someone and see someone being secure and you know all that kind of stuff with there's that sense of what they're doing it's, it's awesome yeah no i was just going to say there's that sense of purity in what they do right they're, they're not diluted by anything they're so focused in in living life in the moment yeah He's playing with his trucks because he wants to play with his trucks and he doesn't care what you think about him playing with trucks. You know what I mean? He doesn't care that you want him to play with a plane. Like he, and that's, I don't know, it's super refreshing. Um, and uh, that's just been, and just like the level of presence, like I'm doing this thing. He's not thinking about law. Well, I need to call this person because if I don't call him this thing, he's, he's just doing that thing. Um, and that's been a, you know, as a parent, just another really, really eye-opening thing for me. Um, so yeah, just, and the lessons never end. <laughs> Shirak, thank you so much for sharing these lessons, sharing your experience and your journey, and for doing what you do in helping students achieve their dreams. Wonderful for you to come and share this with us. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you joining us. My pleasure, Nathan. Thanks for having me on. Take care.